bonus episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the New World Pictures Podcast bonus episode. We have a special bonus episode lined up for you guys, don't we? We do. It's very special. That's right. It's, it's the specialist. It's one of the specialists of all the special bonus episodes that we have been able to special for you. Uh, I'm Ryan. With me as always is Mark. I'm feeling pretty special tonight. And Erica. Oh, I feel so special to be here. <laughs> and in this episode, guys, we're, we're talking with writer, director, producer, Joel Swasson, who has a brand new movie out called My Best Worst Adventure. But also, he has done so much stuff you have recognized. So we're going to talk to him about his brand new film. We're also going to talk to him about some of his early days working and with New World Pictures on some of his early like early films, or like where he co-wrote Hambone and Hilly, and he uh, was the associate producer on Avenging Angel, and moved on to other things like the Hellraiser franchise and the Prophecy franchise and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure franchise. 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 <laughs> so he only did the first one. Um, <laughs> And, and working with John Gulliger, a, a man who's uh, that that franchise, <laughs> uh, a, a man whose last name is still a name Erica does not believe is real. It's not real. It can't be. It can't be. <laughs> not only that, his dad Clue Gulliger is Gulliger. and uh, a name that Erica just does not think is yeah yeah is a real name, but it, it is. And anyway, we had an amazing time with Joel. Joel is so great. And I think you'll find that we bonded pretty hard. Pretty, pretty hard. Like, like I'm, I got real hard with the bonding. <laughs> wow. I, whoa. Wow. Wow. Uh, I mean, not, there, not there, there, this was some rock hard bonding no, that we had. No, no, no. Ah. That's not what we mean. Not what we mean. No, no, Mark. Nothing that's... flaccid about this bonding. Oh, boy. Boy, he's just going down that trail, isn't he? There's no walking him back. How kind of... can we make this end? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we definitely bonded with Joel. He is an amazing guy with an incredibly long career. He's he's done so much. We were not able to talk about absolutely everything because there's just too much. There's too much going on. But he tells some incredible stories. Uh, he talks about what you know what it took for him to get to where he is. Obviously, he talks about his uh, brand new movie, which is now available digitally, and you'll hear us mention that. And uh, I don't know. We maybe we're in a band together now. I don't know. You'll I'm just pretty have sure to we are. Well, you're been... just gonna have to listen to find out. I've been practicing all day. I mean, I thought I thought we were, I mean, I've written two songs. I thought that's what we were doing. <laughs> that's pretty good. I can't wait to, to hear what Joel's come up with. I uh, hopefully John has broken out his guitar, just thrown in a few licks. <laughs> I hope so. Joel said five songs, so I'm only yeah. writing two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're just doing a, an initial EP just to get ourselves going. To be fair, it's an LP because my songs are 8 and 11 minutes long. <laughs> That's right. So. We are a prog rock band. I forgot all about that. I forgot. <laughs> really, all of our songs are about five songs just strung together. <laughs> it's uh, a cross between a prog rock band and just a Claudio Simonetti score. So that's what we're going to be. Um, all right. So this is our conversation with Joel Swasson. Oh, my gosh. We're so happy. We got to talk with him, and we hope you enjoy this conversation. So, first of all, we have to ask: uh, Uh-oh. Were, Have you ever been somewhere with where your 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 camera battery just went completely dead? Uh, oh boy, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> lights go dead all the time with these new battery lights that everybody's using. Camera batteries, I'm sure it's happened. But um, I don't think it's ever killed a day before. I think we always improvised somehow to get get up and running. Um, no, I, I think I've been lucky on that front. I don't think okay. we've ever been okay. killed with a, a dead battery. 
Okay, good. Are you are, um, you, are you cursing my next film that that's going to no, happen? No, no, no. I didn't. Well, never, no, I just meant. Never. Well, the character, the main character, uh, Jenny, in in your new movie, loses her battery power, oh, and it's a big, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a source of uh, frustration for her. So I just thought, you know, I've actually never. I'm pretty good about charging my phone. I have to say, you know, humble brag, but. <laughs> no, uh, here, here's the deal, um, uh, which is a wonderful segue into, into the film, actually. But um, I, like most older uh, individuals, have a love-hate relationship with, with uh, cellular technology and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And um, part of writing scripts and making movies is is dream fulfillment you know the things you think about like i wish life really worked this way that mm -hmm. what would happen if one of these kids actually realized that they couldn't plug in their their uh their laptop or their ipad or their phone i mean what would happen i mean it would just be like being stuck on mars <laughs> and and so yeah that was a little bit of wish fulfillment i got to actually make that happen yeah I, I remember when I got my first cell phone, I was like, everyone's going to be able to get me no matter where I am. It's going to be so weird. Yeah, I've, I've been in the business producing and writing and directing for some very needful people. And I did not get a cell phone until Obama was in office. Wow. 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 You. Good you. job. You held out. Yeah, just when we thought we couldn't like you more. No, and, and you just and plant I, that seed, and now I skipped on. the whole pager era. But particularly in working for the uh, the Weinstein's, um, the the Bob, far less Harvey. But um, uh, I just didn't want to be contacted twenty four seven. I mean, right, there are sure. certain yeah. kinds of people that are so relentless that they will dog you every waking moment of your life and drive you insane. And uh, my career wasn't. Uh, important enough for me to, for that to happen so if you wanted me you could reach me on normal hours but mm -hmm. unless i was um you know a doctor saving lives i didn't feel i needed to be on call 24 7 so i yeah. didn't get a phone love that yeah, yeah and that spirit is a little bit in uh, as you said it's in your new movie um my best worst adventure you remember grandma samjai in thailand she really wants to see you I said, you really want... I said, she really wants to... available digitally it's on demand uh, wherever you 
find digital on demand stuff anywhere yeah, you find your they... VOD. Like I don't want to, you know, we we're not getting paid for by by anybody uh, <laughs> that you, where you find them, but you can you know your you know you, you, you know can put you together need. the pieces. You, you can figure it out. <laughs> that's what I appreciate about all the stuff that I was just uh, lambasting a moment ago is that um, I. Not sure I could find the movie <laughs> um, <laughs> because all these new streaming technologies and downloads and VODs, all I, I, it boggles my mind. But any anybody you know worth their salt with technology is going to be able to find it just by doing whatever it is they do to find a movie. So yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's available now. You can you can watch it now, and it's a coming of age story. It's about a teenage girl who is sent to to spend a summer with her grandmother in Thailand. But like, why have me tell you about this? This is that we have <laughs> the writer and the director, the editor. Uh, Joel, what is this movie about? Well, it's um, it's the culmination of all the horror films that I think I've made over the years, and I've, <laughs> I I never got to make my Matt Damon on Mars movie. Um, okay. <laughs> so my my next best thing was to get some bratty kid from LA and dump her in the middle of an alien world in the north of Thailand and, and have her try to survive. And um, the whole genesis of the thing was I was actually working on a, um, a kind of a horror thriller sort of thing called Cam to Cam in, uh, we were shooting in Bangkok and it was just one of those underbelly of depravity movies where just everybody was ugly and doing horrible things not physically ugly of course they were gorgeous but they were just <laughs> horrible people and um and it, it gave that just sort of twisted hangover three view of thailand that you know is a small sliver of the culture but it was nothing like what i came to understand through talking to the producer who grew up in this tiny little village on the Cambodian border um, in Northern Thailand. And she was just telling me about the, just the crazy stuff they did when they were kids. And one of them was these, these buffalo races, which these stampeding water buffalo that are, you know, a ton and a half buckets of muscle and hooves and horns. <laughs> And these kids are riding on top of them bareback and they're getting thrown every which way and, and just trying to avoid being trampled. And that's what, you know, that what, what stood in for fun in, in their world. And I just thought it was an amazing sport. It was like the Kentucky Derby where, mm -hmm. with no guardrails, you know? And, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to put Thruster into this world where there's that, there's like, you know, bullying schoolmates and and you know an environment that she gets lost in and you know has to fend for herself and and it's just all the worst possible things that could happen to a human being um and they're transformative for her that that was mm -hmm. of course the point of the movie uh, and you know the broader context of course is sort of teaching us all that there's validity in pretty much every culture although as much as I love water buffaloes, I'm not sure I would want my kid to be, you know, jumping on one and doing this. <laughs> right, right. Where or did being the... on a skateboard even? But... <laughs> <laughs> Where did the, uh, I guess, the idea for the, the two leads uh, choosing not to speak? Uh, where did that? Where did that originate? Because that adds such a unique element to the story, and it really. You know, you're you're waiting for like, is there going to be a moment where they, you know, the inevitable word yeah. that comes right. out? Yeah. yeah. Yes. No. Nobody speaks ever. And um, and that yeah, of course that was deliberate, and I appreciate you you pointing that out. Um, part of it was just the fact that they're they're two aliens in their own culture, not just uh, each other's, and. Um, well, it, it really comes back to when it, when I think I did my first film as a writer was a, a little dog movie called Hambone Ham and, and Hilly. Yes, <laughs> you're jumping ahead. Okay, all adults out of the room. This is between us kids. There's a new movie called Hambone and Hilly about a dog who gets left behind and has to travel three thousand miles all on his own. His adventures are filled with comedy, action, danger, thrills. 
even for a dog, there's no place like home. I hope he comes back, Grandma. Oh, I hope so. Hambone and Hilly, the biggest little hero in America. Rated PG. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm jumping backwards, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Getting in the phone booth, going back in time. But, yes. Oh, I love that that uh, illusion as well. But um, the, the, uh, then you would know, if, if you're yes. talking about Hamilton and Hilly, that the star of that film was G- the... Gillian G- uh, uh, Lillian Gish. Gish. Excuse, excuse, excuse me, yes. I love the swap. Lillian yeah. Gish. Lillian yes. Gish. Who... Uh, again, just to sound like an old guy, is somebody many of you probably don't know about, but was one of probably the three superstars of the silent era. Right. Uh, and uh, to work with her, she was 98 at the time, a living icon who is still jumping over, you know, cable and obstacles <laughs> and sass and the crew and just a wonderful human being but it, it it made me fall in love all over with silent films and i hold that affection to this day i just i watch those things and watch the emotional power that comes through just being an amazing actor telling your story with action and and without words and i almost feel that when talkies came they they took away something they sort of robbed us of a muscle you know mm-hmm. and I just wanted to sort of flex that muscle and see if, if, if we could do it. And I find, you know, they say, you know, the whole thing about kids and animals, not. Um, <laughs> but I, I just thought if I'm, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail miserably and hugely. And so I, I just dove into this thing. And the boy in the film is, he's, 13, I think, and and had probably done as many films as I had. <laughs> he was a super pro. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. But the girl and the 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 real lead of the film uh, had never acted a day in her life, even in a, like a high school play. Wow. I mean, oh, she really? was a true- That's surprising. Guy. She was very good. She was. And uh, she just happened into an audition because she skipped school. She was just restless and bored <laughs> and- wanted to sort of see what was going on and and wandered into this audition, not even scheduled. And of course, the casting director saw her, she was beautiful and sort of exotic and her sort of, uh, she's half uh, Australian, half um, um, Thai, living living with a grandmother as this girl in the, in the story. Oh, wow. And, and acting out and miserable and feeling oppressed and and she just, I was back in, in uh, Seattle actually watching all of this on um, a proto Zoom. I think we called mm-hmm. it Skype back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember, but, um, but I just watched her and just seeing what the camera saw was there was something magical when she just sat, stood there and talked about her life. And I just thought if, if, if I can tap into what she already is living Mm-hmm. then I have my actress and she did it and more. I mean, the one constant in this film from the, the festival circuit to the reviews that we've been getting, uh, I think we're still 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. you are. Awesome. You yeah. are. I checked this morning. Oh, As of this morning. Hanging, <laughs> hanging strong. I know. Yeah. Um, but it's largely credited to her. I mean, she just, for me, is magical. And... Um, and, and, and some of it breaks your heart because uh, mm-hmm. uh, there was one point in the, in the film where she was, um, had to cry the first time. And, you know, I tried to treat her as a professional actress. So I went up to her and said, you know, do you have a process for this? Like, yes, I have a process for crying. Of course, I learned it in, <laughs> in, in Stanislavski. Um, <laughs> but she goes, well, um, no, but you could really help me if you just tell me I'm worthless. And oh, it's no. just, I, I'm going like, I, I can't do that. I mean, I, <laughs> I know that's a trigger for you, but but it's not one I should be pulling. Yeah. And yeah. Um, being the mercenary director that I was, I walked to the camera, turned around, walked right back and said, you're worthless. Oh, and... <laughs> It got the result. Child abuse. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Oh no. But um, but it still it did break my heart. I just thought, 
yeah. there was so much loaded in that one statement that um my only pride in in justifying that moment is at the end of this movie she did not feel worthless i mean she had found a direction in her life and something that she was sworn committed to that was going to be her her thing and you know sometimes you try to dissuade an actress from following that thing, knowing how hard that road's going to be. But I could only encourage her because I think she's going someplace. Yeah, she's great in the movie. So, um, the other thing I loved about the movie too was the cinematography. Uh, mm-hmm. And you worked with the same cinematographer from Cam to Cam. So you- Yes. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And I also know that you studied cinematography at the American Film Institute. So how do you oh my work God, with- yeah. uh, How do you work with- <laughs> a cinematographer especially somebody that you already kind of had some kind of uh how did you work how did you work on that on this particular movie some with somebody that you already sort of had a language to Um, to... it's so fun because um i am a a frustrated and failed cinematographer that's what (laughs) i went to school to be and unfortunately it was back in the day when we were still building cameras to shoot film with and changing you know film and bags that you know all it took was an idiot to take the exposed film and mix it up with the unexposed film and ruin a day's shooting. And um, that ended my cinematography career. That and driving the camera truck under a travel lodge awning uh, oh, no. in the morning oh, no. and taking it out. And, oh, no. Um, if, if you want to see what people are wearing at four in the morning and on the upper balcony of a travel lodge when they come blasting out of their doors, that was an experience as well. well was that, um, was you, that, on, uh, was that did, on Deadly Force? No. Oh my God, you're good. Um, <laughs> no, it was on, uh, it was actually, um, okay, well, two different experiences. Yes, Deadly Force with the mixing up the camera. Uh, the, uh-huh. the exposed okay. film okay. with the unexposed film. Wow, okay. beautiful! I had to connect the dots there for a second. You're a second assistant camera on that. On that. Yes. Film. The second one was um, on Hamblin and Hilly because the writer really still fancied himself a, a cameraman. So that was really what I was aspiring to do. So I, I was spending most of my time with the camera department, and that just sealed my fate. Um, <laughs> it was never going to happen after that. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, working with, with this particular cinematographer taught me uh, everything that I didn't learn in film school. I went to AFI, um, American Film Institute for cinematography. I was lucky enough to get in, but um, George Folsey Jr., the DP turned teacher, um, the first class we took in cinematography, he lit a close up with 25 lights and all the cutters and all the this you know that and, and it was gorgeous and you'd like you'd ask him like what 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 motivates this particular light and he goes um uh why should i care it looks beautiful <laughs> um, so so that's what that's how i learned utterly impractical as we've come come to the current way of making movies, but even more so the way the ties make movies, we did not use lights hmm. except at night. So every bit of every bit of daylight photography was based on blocking and clocking your your action to the position of the sun as it's moving across the sky, hmm. and. Um, at first, that was a little awkward, you know, because I, I hadn't really grown up with that kind of mentality. But when you're good at it, as he is, it just, to me, it imbues in the, in the, in the footage that other sense of just natural beauty and reality. It's kind of the antithesis to what we're seeing now everywhere, which uh, is a bit of a lament of mine. I'm going to be the Luddite of all your interviews, I'm afraid. But... Um, <laughs> You know, was that one of the bigger differences in terms of making a movie in Thailand and the United States, or it was just this particular story? Both, yes. Uh, cam to cam was a little more conventionally shot, um, grittier, and we used lights and tr- tried to sort of emulate a an indie typical movie. But this was this was an an answer to CG and all the ways mm-hmm. that we can just 
light and modify a look at an environment and enhance everything and paint out what you don't like. And, and it's just all those crutches that we are now accustomed to with American and, and first world filmmaking, they don't have that luxury. So they are so much more facile and, and adept at using kind of what God gave us, you know, instead of like forcing um, an image yeah. to be something. Yeah. And, you know, that, that kind of humility to the, the environment is something that I think truly gifted photographers have always understood. Yeah. And it's, it looks incredible. It really does. The movie just looks Thank amazing. You. That's yeah. definitely a credit to this guy. Cause otherwise I'd be putting 25 lights up around them. And, <laughs> <laughs> and running, going. running the camera, camera truck underneath the travel lodge. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't think a lot of people will be surprised seeing uh, this movie, which is available now on VOD um, because <laughs> your, your history is so like, it has been so much in genre filmmaking, but as you mentioned, to go back to uh, Hambone and Hilly, that was, where you sort of start out. So your first, it's it, it's your first screenwriting credit, at yes. least as far as IMDb is concerned. But um, it was, uh, and as you said, you were trying to do other things, be a cinematographer. You'd worked on a variety of films doing a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. um, so then you got into screenwriting. Was that something that you were also trying to pursue at the time or? Not really, no. I, I, I took a purely visual trajectory in my career early on. I started a, as an art, major in in art school and then got into animation came to LA because of the Disney program there for character animation and then um, panicked about having to draw 24 frames of Goofy uh, a second um, and <laughs> thought 24 frames of just film moving through a camera was going to be a whole lot easier so I got, got into <laughs> film uh -huh. and then from there I was still always camera to me cameras always been the the stud duck of the of the pond it's like directors uh -huh. they get yeah they tell the actors did a little louder softer quicker slower okay they're good but cameramen know everything they know where the bodies are buried they know how the actor looks <laughs> right they know they know what not to see i mean they're they're just they're the super studs and i've never gotten to be one and I, that still kills me i've you know a couple of times they'll let me like operate third camera which back in the film days was just meant covering the eyepiece with your eyes so light doesn't leak in. Um, <laughs> but, but to really- Still a critical job, Joel. It's it still is. an important job. It is, but that's as far as I've actually actually really gotten. And, and you know, I'd sometimes shoot things with my iPhone like everybody, but you know, that's it. So how did you get involved with uh, Hambone and Hilly then? How were you brought on board? Was that because of Sandy Howard? Exactly. And Sandy Howard, for those who don't know, was kind of the Corman, um, I, won't, I don't want to say rival, but he was doing the, sort of the same kind of thing, the Arkoffs and the Cormans yeah. and the Sandy Howards. I mean, for the purposes of our podcast, you can say rival. I mean, we're very pro-Corman. <laughs> yeah, yeah this is, okay. yeah. As you should be, the guy is a master. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he was but, doing like The Devil's Reign and he did uh, A Man Called Horse and he was worked on, yeah. worked on a lot of those kinds of movies. And then I was, produced for New World Pictures, so became sort of a not just a rival, but uh, a guy working within the system. But yes, he, he was. And he and he got you involved in it, you were saying. Yeah, I was just a, a PA runner, gopher, whatever you want to call it. And um, basically, that's what I tell anybody who wants to get in the business, even to the, today, is just be available. Don't like set limits on what you're willing to do. I've interviewed kids just fresh out of school and I can't tell you how many times lately. God, it's going to sound like I'm bagging on kids. I love kids. They're, they're, they're geniuses. And I'm fiercely jealous of most of their talent. But kids just, they'll walk into an interview and go, well, what do you want to do? Well, um, not, nothing but direct, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, right. Do you have any directing jobs for me? And I'm like, well, no, but <laughs> we definitely need lunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. So right. I so I was that guy that was was willing to do just whatever was not getting done at that particular moment, including on Triumphs of a Man Called Horse, the third one, which yes. is probably the first one I think I worked with Sandy on. Yeah. Um, as a PA on that one. As a PA, we're just running 
um, explosives across the border because they didn't have time to do the, all the paperwork and everything. So we <laughs> put them in the jam in the back of, of my buddy's uh, uh, Buick and we'd, you know, tool across the border, get our $75 and hand off the 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 contraband to a fellow named Pedro and go out to the highlight games and gamble. it was just like it was it was idyllic and then later on hanging around um Sandy it was very much just being the the dog ready to grab any crumbs that fall off his plate and yeah, I remember he was just sitting by his desk one day going you know what I really want to do after you've been doing all these um uh kind of genre action-y um we call them poster movies i think back in the day but mm -hmm. um he said i really want to do a family film i want to do a little dog movie and and uh something like the incredible journey and i just like mm, well i i could i could probably write something like that so i went home and wrote like two pages of a, of a pitch and i just dropped it on his desk and said when you get a chance maybe this would be an angle that you might want to think about and he really liked it so I said, okay, what have you read? Written nothing. Okay, well, I'm not going to gamble the whole thing on you, but it, it's a cross country story where a little dog goes from, gets lost in the airport in New York and has to travel incredible journey style all the way back to, to, to Los Angeles. Los yeah. Angeles to, to mm -hmm. hook up with Lillian Gish, his <laughs> mistress. And um, um, he said, well, okay, you can, you can write from New York to, I'll give you a, uh, uh, Ohio. Okay. And, and that wasn't bad. That's like 700 miles. I got mm -hmm. to write a, the scene where OJ Simpson picks up the right. dog and, and tells the dog how much he uh, upset he is that his wife has gone off with another man. Right. And, and lost his family I, uh, lost his for family. the road. Yeah. And, and then takes the collar off the dog and throws it in the <laughs> trash. <laughs> Yeah, not exactly um, helping the case. Yeah. No, see, OJ was bad news even back then. Um, so, but it, it was for me. It was like, wow, this beats running across town, you know, picking up people's urine samples for for their doctor visits, and so. Um, yeah, but also important. Also an important also job. Also an Joel. important job. Don't spill is my advice to anybody who's doing that. That's key. That's rule number one. Rule number one. Absolutely. So yeah, no. It. it so again, I, not being the, the old bearded guy on the mountain, but it, just say yes unless it's morally reprehensible. Just do it because it helps forward you. People. People want to have around people that can take care of what needs to be taken care of. And that's how people produce is ultimately you, you become known as a problem solver. And, you know, I need a quick budget for this. And where, where's my line producer? Always off doing so. I know how to do a budget. Like, don't. But how hard can it be? It's just <laughs> right. make, making a laundry list and putting numbers next to it. So, right. um, so you do it. And once once you have that budget, then you're responsible for it. Now, now you got to go on set and make sure you can get it done for the ridiculous numbers that you put down there. <laughs> and, um, and suddenly you're a producer. So it, it, it yeah. just, for me, it's, it's being there when, when the moment happens. And that worked for me to one degree, which got me some producing and writing and directing gigs, but it right. just slaughtered my, my, camera career <laughs> <laughs> but then from from there you continue to work with sandy and you worked on avenging angel so you yes. now you're associate producer her name is angel four years ago she made a promise to stay off the streets now she's back with a vengeance you were doing your job i wouldn't have to and this time the lady means business Avenging Angel. When you get to hell, tell him an angel sent you. Our all new Hollywood adventure, rated R. Yes. So how did that come about? Well, associate producer back then was a, really what we call line producer now, which okay. is the producing role that I actually don't do much anymore, but I have probably the most respect for. It's you know, it's where you are actually responsible for the logistics. It's, you're the general, the field marshal mm -hmm. of, the, of the campaign. And and um, um, that's what we did on Avenging Angel. 
and I guess I might add that I draw that distinction just so that you know I had absolutely nothing to do with the story <laughs> <laughs> or, the, or the actors or the acting or okay, any of, okay. of what makes that film uh I guess I can use the word unwatchable. <laughs> and you were you were not responsible for the lead actress not coming back for the sequel or anything. No, I was I was well maybe maybe just by participating. You know there is guilt by association, but I just made sure that the the camera truck arrived driven by somebody else on time. Okay, <laughs> and you weren't in it. So. No. <laughs> no. Um, do you have any other memories from working on that movie or? Um, Avenging, yeah, oh yes. Um, my wife who acts um, off and on in, in my films and does accounting on some of the other ones, um, a double, double threat on these films. <laughs> she played one of the, okay. She was one of the, 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 the movie opens with a, a college track meet, I think. Yes. Yeah. And she was one of the runners uh, in the track meet. And um, I guess there were four or five of them. The problem with my wife is she's pretty athletic and she was so much faster than Betsy Russell, the, 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 <laughs> the lead, lead actress. Yes. She kept overtaking her <laughs> and crossing the finishing finish line. First, I'm going, you know, Claudia, you, I appreciate the fact, well, she's so slow, but I know, I appreciate that, but you can't beat the star. The whole idea of the film is that she's like super fast. And right. um, so by take five, I think Claudia finally got it and sort of like, you know, ran in slow motion in order to pull it off. <laughs> that's really all I remember of, of, of the, the joy of that, that particular experience. Um, and at this, go ahead, Mark. Sorry, I, I was just gonna. Well, no, we can finish off on on that. I was just gonna say, because I have just, I just recently, two weeks ago, uh, watched Hellraiser Inferno, and mm. uh, you were a producer on that. And I, I wanted to ask if there was, uh, you know, how did that come about, and what was it like? I mean, you've worked on a couple Hellraiser movies, and. We're, we're having a big internal debate as to where does where does Hellraiser go and can Hellraiser <laughs> exist in today's age because I'm we're old enough to remember when Hellraiser was really big so um, I'd, I'd love to hear you know what your experience was like working on on Hellraiser Inferno and um, Hellraiser Hellseeker and and how that came about all hell is about to break loose again This time, a battle between good and evil has a familiar face. Welcome to hell. Hellraiser Inferno. No! Well, this is a question that's often asked, I think, of all the, the series of films that I've worked on endless sequels is like, when did it, exactly did it go off the rails? Um, and, and, were you, and were you responsible? That, um, that's not what I'm asking, but no, while we're on the subject. I can assure you're you from Mark's perspective, he thinks it never went off the rails. All right. He's well, very pro Hellraiser, so yeah. I can assure you he's off okay. the rails, not, not an option. That's very comforting because I just thought he was being nice. Um, no, no. <laughs> but Inferno is one to, a good one to bring up because it was. I thought it was a very well crafted film, and it was written and directed by a guy named Scott Derrickson. Mm -hmm. um, he did a little movie called Doctor Strange that may that some people have may have heard. Yeah, of. Mm -hmm. and another one, um, Sinister as well. The 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 court the the that courtroom movie that was his first big feature yeah uh, um exorcism Inferno. of emily thank Rose. you yes yeah. oh you're good yeah, off the dome right here yeah. off the dome. i know just... i know it's just you can pull stuff out of your brain that that, <laughs> that are just lost to me um, i can't remember my kids birthdays but you know that's because that's not important <laughs> that's it's, not it's knowing that's how not many critical. pins pinhead had in his cranium is, that's the important much more, thing. much more important that's the critical stuff um but it was it was a crafty little thriller and what <laughs> 
happened with so many of the uh, late stage Hellraisers. Um, that sounds like a disease, but um, <laughs> we're a great band name. So if I could just a have great that, band I name, yes. that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. We'll we'll yeah. share the residuals on that. That'll be our band when yeah. when you because look, Joel is an adaptable guy. So I'm, Joel, I'm I need you to join a band, and it's called the Late Stage Hellraisers. Uh, I, I do You're a in. little. I do a little shabby guitar and yes. excellent. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. That's perfect. That's perfect. But it, it, rehearsal it, we, next Sunday. <laughs> this is really turning much more fun than I expected. Thank you for this. Um, it's so fun. I forgot the original question, but I think it had something to do with Hellraiser Inferno and Scott Derrickson, who um, it was. It was the only real potent memory besides being impressed with Scott is that in order for him to get the gig, he had to, we got him $10,000, I think, to do a scene and prove us he could, to us he could direct because he'd never directed anything before. And so there was a scene, I think in the movie, and, and maybe you recall this, I, I don't anymore, but there was a, a guy was trying to get in a room and there was something happening behind the door. Somebody was getting slaughtered. And he couldn't right. get inside and all he saw, it, it's just the anxiety of trying to get into this room when you know something horrible is happening to somebody I, I guess he had, he, he had some affection for. But anyway, all you hear behind the door is, you know, meaty, awful yeah. things and um, blood starts coursing from under the door. Mm -hmm. And that's the scene he chose to, to shoot and it's, he chose to shoot it in my office. <laughs> and I had no, I, I was like out of my office at the time. I had no idea that they, they had the staff guys that were like, yeah, use Joel's office. He's not there. <laughs> um, so I come back and my whole office is the floor is just covered in bloody, sticky, syrupy, you know, fake blood. And it's all over everything. And cameras are rolling and they're telling me to shut up. Um, <laughs> And and I was like, what is going on? Here? <laughs> You're fired. Well, it, it was a nice looking office, though. I'll just say that much. Well, thank you. Uh, it, it was a good office. It was a very nice office at the time. Yeah. Um, but he 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 was very skillful, did really well, and um, you know, it worked. Yeah. Another another franchise that sort of started with uh, New World Pictures is Children of the Corn. And you actually knew Donald P. Borchers from working on Triumphs of a Man Called Horse. Yes. He, he produced that movie, but he was associate or line producing uh, that particular film. And then mm -hmm. you ended up working in the franchise of Children of the Corn. So much like Hellraiser, how was it to come into that franchise and 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 work on some of the later, the later sequels. Yes, which you again tried to speak affectionately of, which was, <laughs> I, I thank you for that. Um, you know, Don's been a friend for ever since way back then um, and uh, never rivals because basically I sort of got whatever he couldn't, um, didn't have time to do back at the Sandy days. Like, okay, Don's moved on to this, so we need a budget, so, uh, you can do it. Um, so my my um, appreciation for Don leaving some scraps behind on his career trajectory was really helpful um, for me. And then at some point we were kind of more peer level and less like, you know, big guy, little guy. And um, and yeah, it was it was kind of fun picking up the torch and then Don, uh, um, uh, he, um, he, he directed one, uh, not so long ago, one of Correct, the points, yeah. I think, and I was doing one, uh, of the sequels kind of at the same time. So it was kind of a sort of a half-assed friendly rivalry kind of thing. I think it was Genesis <laughs> that I was doing at the time. Yes. And, um, um, but I was, I was kind of the, the poser because that wasn't my franchise. I was just sort of like maintaining it as long as it could could be maintained. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I did make Children of the Corner Genesis for Bob Weinstein and yes. um, delivered him the film. It was made, that's that point in the, in the game, we've been making those things pretty cheaply. 
and uh, he insisted on shooting it in spring. Um, Children of the Corn plus spring doesn't really am amount to much corn. Yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm like, you don't have any corn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know my corn seasons. <laughs> you do, you do. You, you, uh, and so did Bob, because he watches the film and goes like, uh, okay, your film is actually not bad, but there's no children and there's no corn. Uh, go back and shoot both. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we waited until this is our answer to everything that was wrong on a on a on a dimension film is um go back and get it and stick it in as a dream sequence somewhere <laughs> right because by that time your story is done your film is shot it's not you've got to shoehorn it into something right yeah. and so there's always going to be a point when an actor closes their eyes and then that's your cue to shoot in some sort of like um, dream of, of corn and children with, with sickles and, and hatchets. And yeah, yeah that's that was that some of the stuff that you threw in that would that, I would see some of that stuff in the prophecy movies, which is, I think, where you first started working with the Weinsteins. I think yes. that was your, your introduction was the very first prophecy. And then you would eventually start writing and directing the later sequels. Yes, the Greg Wyden, who wrote the original Prophecy and directed it, um, uh, was a friend uh, at the time, and and he had already done Backdraft, so it wasn't like his first deal. Um, but it was a tremendously hard movie to get made because it deals with a war in heaven, a second war in heaven, and. Um, Gabriel, the angel played by Walken, is going to escape from heaven and, and challenge um, um, God and essentially do what Lucifer did so many years back and in so doing create a second hell. And then, then Lucifer played by uh, Viggo Mortensen gets a little pissed off because he doesn't want two hells. So he's going to come and help out the humans, which is not something uh, Satan's that comfortable doing, but, you know, in, in a pinch. I guess, and so it sets up these really weird opposition, and in, in the center of it is Virginia Madsen is sort of every woman trying just to protect the kid, and um, I just, it was a fantastic sort of horror intrigue story that, that um, I knew would be good if anybody would give us enough money to just make it on a shoestring even, which a guy named Robbie Little finally did, um, and uh, so we made the first movie, one of which I am still tremendously proud. I thought that was like super inventive and super worthy mm -hmm. uh, as a film. And uh, that was my introduction to Dimension. When Bob and Harvey saw it, they, they wanted more. And so we were happy to give them more. Yeah, up to five. Five, yes, yes. Yeah, you did. You wrote and directed four and five. Which is hardly getting started in some of my sequel careers, but um, <laughs> that's early days for you. Yeah, basically. that's early days. Those are those are the good good times. Um, yeah. A couple, I had a couple other films I wanted to ask you about it before we before we uh, finish up. But um, sure. we recently just talked about uh, in a, a recent episode we talked about Feast, which is something that I would I had just rewatched. Um, after a, a little while. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Feast. I, I love Feast. And so I, how did you get involved in producing that? Um, Feast is uh, a really happy, scary, awful experience um, <laughs> in that I hadn't really paid any attention to this Project Greenlight series, you know, where right. <laughs> for those who don't know that you actually take two wannabe filmmakers in a contest of like a thousand people submit a script and a thousand people submit a director, uh, uh, a scene that they've directed. And uh, this panel of judges, which is Affleck and Damon and Wes Craven and myself and my producing partner at the time, Mike Leahy and, um, and a, a, a Dimension exec named Nick Phillips, all, um, decide from all those those scores and scores of, of submissions who should be the one to win the right to direct a film that is written by the winner of the screenwriting contest. And so you marry those two together, you make a film and expect that those two talents who have been winnowed, winnowed down from so many is gonna be like spectacular chemistry and an awesome movie. Well, we picked this, uh, 
script that we all loved called Feast, which was just a really fun um, send up of the trapped in the in the in the whatever, and there's there's whatever's outside mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. Um, and this really quirky, fiercely talented and frustrating director named John Gulliger, who was uh, for real cineasts would know that's the son of Clue Gulliger, who's a mm-hmm. famous. Uh, director from last picture uh, actor from last picture show director in his own right but it's a whole filmmaking tribe that John Mm -hmm. was part of and but he'd never worked inside the system so he never did anything like preparing or shot lists or or planning or communicating Um, (laughs) those those were so it was a great fodder for project Greenlight, and I think we came off uh, myself and my partner sort of the dower executives or producers going this is never going to work I think I I and probably repeated 70 times throughout the series going, I don't know what they're doing. This isn't gonna work. <laughs> this is a mess. This is a shit show. We're we're done for. Blah blah blah. And um, but it turned out well because um, <laughs> it did. It did. Because this despite, you know, sometimes unplanned little improv- improvisational marvels become something unexpectedly cool. And this one did. Um and very much a credit also to the, the screenwriters who have gone on, Marcus Dunstan and, and Patrick Melton. Um, have the gone Saw on movies this, and, uh, yep. And uh, the Collector movies. Collectors, yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, um, so, so uh, John and I parted frenemies um, and uh, <laughs> swore basically, I think each of us that we would never work together again. So we made another movie together called Piranha 3DD. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yeah, you did. did. And you wrote um, it. <laughs> yeah, and that that completely convinced me that I, that I for sure was never gonna work with John Gulliger again or, or probably uh, anyone named Weinstein. And um, so uh, I am here in Oklahoma City right now. Um, we're shooting Monday on a film that will be directed by John Gulliger. <laughs> yes. Is it, called, <laughs> um, is it called Seven Cemeteries? Is that what it's yes, called? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you, <laughs> are you getting so, along at this point? I hate him. <laughs> are you still going home to your hotel room going, this shit's never going to work? <laughs> it is. It is. It's, it's a complete shit show here. Believe me. Um, there's no question this one's going to be a disaster so um but i assure you this time i'm never working with him again after this one this is it this one's this it. it third times third time's not a charm this one this will be it um well i could not let you go without at least asking you a little bit about bill and ted's excellent adventure obviously a huge movie to so many people and uh, you produce that. There's a ton of movies that you, I mean, Dracula 2000 is a big movie to me too, but we have to talk about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, so so how, how did you get involved in that? Can, what, what can you tell us about Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure? That was that was a case of back when um, I worked for a guy who actually didn't mind spending money on something he completely didn't understand. This was Dino De Laurentiis, who was an Italian, you know, great iconic producer. Mm-hmm done mm-hmm. all these huge memorable films but you know uh he came to start a studio in in LA not really I mean barely speaking English and here's a film you know Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure anybody who's seen it it's all about you know uh youth culture the, mm-hmm. the whole Bill and Ted speak the whole reference points you know the touchstones of growing up in in the states and particularly uh you know the sort of the valley vibe and um well san dimas in this case but, yeah. um <laughs> he, he he predictably green lit it because we were so passionate about it but hated it when he saw it saw the movie he just thought it was um a total piece of incomprehensible crap really um and go shoot some dream sequences we did, that, that, that was before that that, was, that solve had not uh, come into being yet. So um, so it got off to a rocky start. And you know, yeah. Dino later on, I think he embraced it and understood it. But it, unfortunately, at the time, uh, it, it took an, an 
outside company that they sold it to on a fire sale called Nelson Entertainment uh, to actually be the only company that actually was willing to, to test it in front of the, the real demographic that we were aiming for, you know, 17 to 25 year old kids. Mm -hmm. And it went, it tested through the roof. And, you know, from then on, it was no surprise that it would do well because it, it was, it, it hit that sweet spot. And we all thought it would from the get-go. And I, back then, I was sort of that age myself and tapped in. Um, <laughs> so, and now I've become the age of the guys that were at the, our first screening going, this is an absolute piece of shit. It'll never work. So, <laughs> um, I hope I've, I've carried a little of that humility with me over the decades since that I don't always know what, what's really going to make, you know, the next big thing. Right. And Wild Stallions is a good name for a band, but not as good as the name of our band. Yeah, no, late start no. Hellraisers. <laughs> late start Hellraisers. Really, that's, I mean, that's what they should have named the band. And unfortunately, it's, uh, I've already copywritten it. So it's already yeah. too late. Sorry, you can't take it. It's trademark. Well, after this interview, I'm going to start writing our uh, top five songs just to yes! get the Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's get that hit going. Don't it's, let it's, John Gulliger see any of it <laughs> no although john is a much better songwriter than i am so even despite it it pains me to say it we might need him in the band okay oh, that's true all right fair enough well I feel like based on your track record we have to let him in <laughs> well we'll push him away for a while and then eventually we'll have him in jagger and 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 richard's often they're they're at odds with each other i mean you, mm -hmm. you, you need some tension in yeah. the creative we need process. the drama we need the, the drama right. it fuels the creative process it does <laughs> it inspires me yeah. <laughs> the nice thing about covid by the way um Thank you for not bringing up COVID because that's a whole other thing. But we're doing everything by, by even here in, in, I haven't hardly spent more than five minutes with anybody on the, on the crew or cast because um, we're all doing it remotely. So, mm. so I, can, I can turn John off whenever I want to. It's just like, oh, I'm having technical difficulties. So I'm sorry, we'll, we'll pick this up another time. <laughs> so you know, that's, just, that's, just to be clear do, do we have to cut all of this part out <laughs> no i want him to see it i want him to know oh. how much i've been suffering over the years <laughs> oh man that'll be one of our song titles yes <laughs> suffering over the years actually yep. with yep. john with john yep. Gulliger. Yep. yeah the john Gulliger anthem yep. <laughs> Oh, Joel, this has been so great. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for, for taking time out to speak with us. This has been the best part of my day. I thank you for it. Oh, oh thank you so much. Ours too. This has been amazing. We really appreciate it. We could talk to you for hours. You have such an amazing career. Uh, there's so many movies that we could talk to you about. But what we should be watching is My Best Worst Adventure. It's out now. Absolutely. It's magical. Go check it out. And uh, Joel, thank you so much for being on the show. Really when, when this COVID thing's over, we'll have a beer together. Yes. That'd be awesome. That would yeah. be amazing. That'd be terrific. All right. Gosh. Uh, thank you, you so guys. much. Great seeing thank you, you too. Thank you. All right. Thank Appreciate you, Joel. It. Appreciate it. Oh man, you know, that was that was so much fun. I I I yeah. really didn't expect him to be as just gracious enthusiastic excited mm -hmm. to talk with us i mean he covered so much ground and i realized i never got to ask him about maniac cop 3 i'm so <laughs> pissed off oh how did i let that one slide uh, i mean i got to mention but we didn't get to talk about dracula 2000 oh, man. Uh, i had a lot of gerard butler questions um, I generally have a lot of Ger Gerard Butler questions unrelated to Joel Swanson, <laughs> but related to Joel Swanson, I had some Gerard Butler questions, particularly uh, for Dragon of the 2000. So many things we could have talked to him about. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Maybe next time we'll get yeah, to talk to him. Yeah, fingers crossed. He's fingers so great. Crossed. He's so down to earth, you know, considering all that he's done and all that he's experienced and yeah. all the many years of work that he's put in. He's still just such a cool guy. I think that's what was just so impressive throughout the entire conversation. Yeah. He's just such a cool guy. And you know, this is also him at the end of like a work day. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah. like he is in his hotel room 
at the end of a work day, just being like, okay, I got to promote my movie. And like, we had so much fun. It was a blast. You know, and that's, that's really, you know, a a credit to him that he was like that willing to have a good time with us and and have fun with us. And, uh, you know, so, you know, kudos to him. It was great meeting him. Um, We're, we're so happy to have him and so happy to have yet another person, another voice that has worked with New World Pictures to kind of get a little bit more of the background uh, of what what it was like to work at, you know, New World Pictures, uh, yeah. as well as all the other things that he's worked on as well. So that was really cool. Just really cool. Really, really, really happy and, and grateful that we got to talk to him. So, <laughs> so with that said, <laughs> everyone just wandered into their... We're speechless. We're speechless. Yeah. Everyone else... I, I'm trying to figure out when we're going to get that beer and if I do need to bring a mic. <laughs> I think you do. You probably do. We probably or do. Or maybe just a tape recorder in my pocket. That's right. Let's <laughs> Nothing creepy about that. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Let's do this 1980s style. <laughs> maybe I'll just, I'll actually tape a mic to my chest yeah, yeah. under my go. shirt. Wear a wire. Wear a wire. It's hooked up to a cassette recorder. Yeah, that's that's hooked up to a cassette recorder that's in a van across the street. That's right. <laughs> Which we then will have to take and digitize. We could do it simpler, but why? I think Joel would want it this way. Yeah, yeah. this is how he would want it. He would want us to work for did it. Did he work? Did he do sound on something? I feel like he probably he must have. He will. He He's must about have. to. <laughs> All right, but that's it for us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, please give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts or subscribe, whatever it is that you need to do to show us that you like us and you enjoy it and you want to listen to more. We hope you will. Hope you join us again for another New World Pictures podcast. See you next time. <laughs>